You're listening to the Top Woman Business Unusual Podcast. Now, the Top Woman Business Unusual Podcast. Learn from the greatest minds in business today. Interviews hosted by Ralph Fletcher. Learn how to improve business, get tips from industry leaders, and be motivated by real-life experience. Top Woman. Business Unusual. Good day, everybody. Welcome to the Top Woman uh, podcast. I'm very excited to have Hacha Sharif join me today. She is the co-founder of the Civil Society Network, Together We Build It, after witnessing a, a terrible law in, in Libya. She's also been nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize for 2021 and is one of the 12 champions of the women peace, security, and human rights appointed by the UN Women. So, um, Hajar, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much for inviting me. I'm looking forward for this conversation. So, uh, as, as I mean, for me, the, the most intriguing thing I've thought about at such a young age, or the things that you've done, um, the, the, the advocacy that you've, you've achieved in terms of uh, peace, and advocating for women is where did that level of uh, determination and, and confrontation come from? Because you need that, right? I mean, it's 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 you can't just sit on your laurels and expect change. But at, at such a young age, what was what was the really sort of the turning point in your life that made you decide to step forward? You know, that's. Uh... I ask myself this question sometimes and sometimes I wish if I can pin down the answer and, and sometimes I also wish if I can go back to that moment and maybe change it. Um, where it comes from, I would say it comes from an understanding and an experience. Um, and I'll start with the experience first and then go to the understanding. So the experience that... Um, I had when I volunteered at the hospital during the war in Libya in 2011. So I initially thought that I'm going to end up being a doctor. Um, and I must say, I was uh, very much uh, inspired by Grey's Anatomy. Oh. And I was thinking that, you know, the best professional career for me to, to become a surgeon. So I started studying medicine. And then after... Maybe in my two years um, going into medicine school, the war started in Libya. Um, and then a few months after the war started, I volunteered at the hospital. And that was a completely waking up moment for me because I think for many of us, those who didn't grow up witnessing a war, you know, you sort of have your life, regardless of the quality of it, um, it was it was peaceful. There is there is no actual war taking place, and then when you suddenly experience a war in the beginning, you don't really you, you don't have the tools and the understanding to assess what it actually means to to live a war. Um, until I started at the hospital, and I just realized that oh gosh, wars are are much worse than we can ever think of because then you see firsthand how it affected many civilians who had nothing to do with it, right? They were not at the front lines fighting. Maybe they were not even 
supporting any of the groups and yet it affected them terribly. Um, some were badly injured, um, but some also died. Um, so that was the realization that I just feel I was very supportive of the revolution and for the change. And I felt afterwards that I do have a responsibility to sort of fix it. Um, so that's the experience. But then the realization that it's actually possible to be fixed and to change things came from, I would say, my upbringing and the very unique um, upbringing my parents uh, um, gave me and my siblings more or less the opportunity to have and, and live something called family democracy meetings, which, um, which is literally a mini political system, as formal as one can think of. I love, I mean, I love this idea because I, I listened to your, your TEDx uh, talk around, uh, around this and the, the Friday democracy the evenings. And I mean, this is a, this is a time and a place where um, uh, women are not seen as equal, where religious extremism is, is rife. And they created this uh, opportunity or they created this forum for some sort of democratic discussion. Where did, they, I mean, where did they get the inspiration to do that? There must've been some phenomenal parents in that time uh, not to conform and, and be afraid of, of, this, of, the, of what's going on at the time. Yeah, you know, I, it was the, the mastermind behind us was my father. And every time I have an opportunity, I ask him how he thought of putting this together. Um, I never really got a very specific answer, um, but I think it really comes from his strong beliefs in democracy um, and that democracy is not only on the state level. So it's not only about elections and governments and parliaments, etc., but democracy actually can be and should start at home itself. And I think also part of him wanted to ensure that our family life together and our family dynamics has more quality than, you know, just the, the fact that, oh, we're a family, um, you, have to, you have to bear each other, you know, regardless of, of um, how different you are, etc. So what he did, he literally created a neutral form. Um, he created a system where everyone was equal, and that was very much against the very traditional concept of parenthood, uh, parenthood and childhood, for instance, um, because you know uh, the the by by nature the reality and and the dynamics between parents and kids um, there isn't really power balance between them, and and that's of course required by the nature of the relationship, but that was that system that was one hour a week where everyone was equal. So to give you a very particular example, for me as a young girl, as, as a, yeah, a young girl at the time, um, living in a society that is still led and controlled by um, traditional gender norms and stereotypes that says, you know, you as a young girl, you should behave in a certain way, you should talk in a certain way, there are things you cannot do, etc., but your brother can do on the other hand. Um, and this family democracy meeting hour 
was the one hour where I was not only equal to my brother 100%, but I was also equal to my father and mother, which was something that, you know, I, I would definitely say it's a privilege that I enjoyed. Meanwhile, I know many other kids at the time um, and still do not enjoy it. Yeah, totally. And would you say, I mean, is that, is, would you put your, your parents down to being part of the role models that you had in your life to, to achieve what you have or to continue to do what you have? I mean, do you still, do you still run things past them? Do you still um, engage with them around important matters or have you kind of gone completely off on your own independent way? Um, how's that relationship now? Absolutely. I, I I run almost everything by them. Uh, maybe if you ask them, they will tell you it's a little bit too much <laughs> uh, <laughs> what I run by them. But I would say having that system um, actually ensured the quality of our relationship now that, that me and my siblings are adults, right? Because first of all, I know that I can run something by them um, without them giving me the opinion that is filtered by parents' lens, right? So it's um, because when I was a kid, we were able to discuss things the way they are from perhaps a very pragmatic point of view or a um, um, little bit less emotional than, than it is usually um, when it comes to a discussion between a, a father and a daughter or a mother and a daughter. Um, because... One thing that I can definitely give it to them at the time that now more and more I started to realize it must have been extremely difficult for them to allow us to criticize them, right? And for them to be sitting there having to justify, for an example, why they said no to something. Because when it comes to, you know, parents, kids, maybe the parent can simply say, no, you should not do that or you cannot do that or you're not allowed to go there. So they can say that during the, the days, but then when we bring it up in this family democracy meeting, the dynamics, the dynamics completely change. So they have, to, they have to justify why they're making particular decisions, but they also have to sit there many times and listen to me and my siblings criticizing them. And that's perhaps the one thing that usually a a conventional parent-child relationship does not exist. You know, you, you cannot criticize your parents, especially in their face, and them having to, to sit, listen, accept it, and sometimes even justify it. So, I mean, you guys must have known that the opportunity you had with your parents doing this was really important and it was going to be catalyst to... Um, everything that that evolved in your in your relationships or, or decisions that were made in the family. I mean, what were some of the major that if if we could share worldwide um, the, the major profound lessons or outcomes from from these meetings that you had? How, I mean, how would you how would you share that or replicate that um, uh, to create a cohesive sort of political stability and family environment going forward? It's, it's interesting that, uh, you know, I think looking at it now, I would assume that as a kid at the time, I should have appreciated this opportunity because it was something, it was a privilege that was given to me by 
the, the power holders themselves, right? Like when we talk about parents in a conventional society, we're talking as if you're talking about a prime minister or a president. So me sitting with my parents one hour a week, discussing everything with them, especially their decisions, it's like sitting with your prime minister or president an hour, president an hour a week and discussing every decision that they made and discussing the issues that, you know, you, you wish that you can just bring it up. Um, but at the time, for some reason that I cannot know right now, actually, I was not very much fond of the system. Um, I, 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 know, I know why. <laughs> I know why I wasn't fond of it. Because while you have the right to criticize and bring up your issues, others can also do the same. And you also, as a member of this family and as a participant, you also have to sit there and, and justify why you did something or why you said something. Um, and I didn't like that. I, you know, I mean, I was, I was really young, but I didn't like to be held accountable for a few things. And I remember at some point I was like, like, I, I still remember us having the meeting and things got really heated between me and my brother. I, I did something really bad and he decided to bring it up. And it wasn't, it wasn't really an intimidating situation. Like it, there wasn't going to be, you know, punishment or something like this, but I, I couldn't handle the conversation. And I remember I just stood up, went to my room <laughs> And I remember writing like some sort of resignation letter or withdrawal letter or something like this. And I walked back to the room and I handed it to my dad and I, I, I just left the meeting. And I think in the letter I did say, you know, this is the last time I'm participating in this. And my, my dad tried to have, you know, side negotiations with me and he sat down and tried to see if I would be willing to come back to the meeting. And you see, even that, it wasn't like, no, 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 I'm your father. You have to come and attend whether you like it or not. It was more of like, you know, real political negotiations. It's like a political party in a parliament said, I'm going to leave the government, you know. And I remember I said, no, I'm, I'm not going to come back. And, and I left the meeting for, for quite some time. And then I was the one who, you know, realized that, I cannot help myself apart from being in that system because that was the only way I can ensure that I am as equal as everyone else. So then that was the time when I went back to the family democracy meetings and, and started bringing up my issues because I realized instead of me trying to convince, you know, other people that, hey, I'm struggling with this, you need to help me. I actually had this forum where when I bring up an issue, everyone will have to listen to it and everyone will have to address it with me. So once someone brought up an issue, no one can just say, no, 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 this is not important. We're not going to talk about it because actually we do have pile of notebooks right now that date back to more than 20 years ago where, you know, everything is written down and, the, the notes and what this person said and what is the solution and so um, I find that amazing my family can't well my family will deny something that they said last week 
And I, I wish <laughs> I wish I had that's some of that. Wrote everything though. <laughs> yeah, documented. Um, well, let's. So, I mean, I know now. I mean, look, you live uh, you, you live a, a life of service, right? Um, and it puts you at risk a lot of the time, but without sort of having to uh, expose some of those things. But just if somebody, it, it, you know, is in your position, what are the kind of things, I mean, what are the, the risks they're taking in life, you know, on behalf of a bigger cause? And, I mean, how do you manage to weigh up the sort of anxiety around sometimes your safety and what you're trying to achieve? Because that, that must be quite something in terms of finding a balance for yourself. How does that, how does that work for you? Yeah, I, I think perhaps, I mean, of course, there's few risks that one can undertake depending on, on your situation, also depending on the issue you're dealing with. Um, some issues are extremely sensitive to people to an extent that, you know, they're, they're willing to kill if there is an opposite view to, to what they believe in. Um, other issues, some people do not really care about them at all. Um, so it really depends on, you know, there is, at least for me, there is no constant um, um, situation with everything. So whenever I have to balance, I really need to understand whether a particular issue is sensitive and who is it sensitive to, right? But I would say the most, I would say definitely the most difficult thing is actually the isolation. Because regardless of how much you surround yourself with people who perhaps think like you um, and who are aware of, you know, the, the social issues and the political issues that we live in, it's still going to be a minority from, from your whole community or your whole society. So the, the isolation, for an example, that, that one can feel, I would say that's really difficult because just to give you an example, if, if you're working during a day on, on, on a very important cause and and maybe there is frustration because things are not working well um, or you're not seeing the change that you want to see, right? Um, and then if you're going through such a day and then you have to go to a social gathering, let's say a birthday party, and then the majority at that birthday party are talking about things that are completely different, right? And then you're, you're there like consciously and subconsciously you like you're you're sort of in in a completely different environment right because um not only that you cannot talk about the problems um and i would definitely say the frustration because after being 10 years in this field there is a lot of frustration because you see that things are not changing as fast as you want them although there are opportunities for them to get better um and then you're you're standing there and you realize that the majority of people, I don't want to sound mean, but the majority of people maybe do not care or maybe they do not want to be bothered with it, right? So you're standing there in a birthday party or in a gathering or, or in whatever social um, occasion you are involved in and then you're just like, okay, so I, I have to talk about I don't know something that is completely different but that's that's not really you right like you you sort of cannot 
I don't know. I just feel it's like if you choose to do this work, you're going to go, you're going to face lots of frustration, but also, unfortunately, not many people that you can actually vent this frustration to. Yeah, I was thinking about that. So, like, how are you able to relate to people who have had a completely different experience? Because what you do is about creating awareness. It's about people understanding a certain perspective. It's about people being exposed to things that are not right um, and that may, they may not have, have known. But how do you relate to people from totally different continents, totally different upbringings? They don't have the sense of, of urgency. First of all, is it important that you do identify with, with, with youth in general? And then how do you... How do you get into the narrative of getting people to really understand the core and the essence of what you're trying to achieve? Yeah, you know, it's, I personally haven't managed to answer this question yet, but it is a very important question for me because when I, when I first started um, 10 years ago, um, I was very extreme in ensuring that everyone in my surrounding thinks like me, you know, and is as aware, as informed like me. And this works for a while, but then you suddenly wake up one day and you realize that you live in a bubble because it, it's, it's everyone who thinks like you, speaks like you. So after a while, you, sh you vent your frustration, they vent their frustration. But after a while, you sort of realize that, well, the broader society, you're, you're isolated from that. And this bubble is completely isolated from that, right? But then when you try to sort of expand more, um, I think at least for me, the conclusion I reached right now is that every space has its space, but I cannot also force people to deal with things that, that are extremely difficult and are uncomfortable, right? Because if, I mean, life is not easy to the majority of us. Um, and if I chose to maybe take up something that is, that it's, that's going to bring more anxiety and more stress and more pressure, that's a personal decision that I'm making and I shouldn't really expect everyone else to make it because, you know, God knows what everyone is going through, right? Um, but then in the same time, sometimes there is these small things that, that happens everywhere because even when we're talking about issues, let's say racism, I mean, racism is not happening just on a political level and then when you're going to go to a restaurant, it's not there. So it's like... It's, it's everywhere and sometimes you would have the opportunity to make the link to people by saying, oh, for an example, you, you've seen this racist comment, that's why we're working on a political level to ensure equal rights, etc., etc. But also, you know, you cannot be a sort of a teacher or a professor everywhere you go sort of like pointing at everything that is wrong because even you as an individual, you have to... You have to live, you have to eat, you have to dance, you have to listen to music. You just have to, you have to have fun as well. Yeah. 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 And, and I mean, to take to, you know, is it an effort for you in many ways to take, not take life seriously in some moments and just, just kind of drop it all? Do, do you ever get that time to go, oh, I, I'm just not going to be this serious about this today and, and, and end up having a good giggle and a laugh or, or let your hair down 
you know, do you have those moments? Are they, are they far and few between? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I, it's not that I have these moments, I make these moments, right? Yeah. Um, so I would say if there is good Afro music, then definitely this is one of the moments. Um, it's, it, it is definitely like a, a conscious decision that one have to make, right? And if this is fun time, then it is fun time. If this is discussion time, it's discussion time. And sometimes even with, with friends and family, sometimes you would want to have a heated debate about an issue and sometimes you just don't want to have it. And I think this is, now after 10 years, I'm, I'm teaching myself more and more to find that balance because I also don't want to end up living in my own bubble alone, you know, um, um, being isolated from, from the society, but also sometimes being isolated from how these issues affect people at the lower levels, right? So, I mean, there, there, you were alluding to it earlier, but there are some people who, who, who sort of live in, in, in life in the mentality of something needs to change, but it's never going to be me. I'm not going to be able to make that change. I'm too small or uh, my, my desire is too insignificant or nobody will listen to me or I don't mean much. How, how do you, what kind of advice do you give to people like that who and then again, I mean, it's like complaining about the system, but you're not part of this, you know. But you're not part of the system. You don't participate in it. But I think a lot of people, and I think worldwide, we've got major problems in South Africa. We've got major problems in Africa, where people give up in the political system because they just see no way forward. And I mean, you know, to me, it, I really look at you and I think to myself, goodness me, you know, I'm, I'm ten, roughly ten years older than you. What could I have done at your age? I know what I was doing, and it certainly wasn't what <laughs> it certainly wasn't what you were doing. Um, uh, so, what you know? How? What do we say to these to these individuals to these people? Who, is that a common thing for you to experience? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, whenever I have these conversations with with anyone, and then they ask, "Oh my God, we wish if we have the time to do what you're doing, or we wish if we can make a shift." in our career and, and actually we are considering maybe dropping this sector and go to work in the nonprofit sector and some and such. And I just say, you know, you, you don't need to be a full-time activist or advocate. You, you literally don't need to do this full-time. You just need to be aware of your own contributions to an issue and actually look into ways of how you can fix it, right? So for an example, if we're talking about modern slavery, one can easily, who has nothing to do with activism, maybe just check the products you're buying, right? Like it's, it, it literally does not take time. It's not an effort. There is organizations who are already doing all the hard work for you. So if you want to buy something, maybe just check who produced it, right? Or where was it produced? Or if you want to maybe hire someone, just ensure that you're paying them well, or, you know, if you know someone who hired someone, it's at the end, all these big issues that people think that, you know, well, I'm not the president, I have nothing to do about, there is definitely a link to you as an individual. And as sad and as bad as this might sound, 
I also strongly believe that we're all contributing to the existence of the issue in itself. So let's take again modern slavery. We, we cannot just sit and say, well, there should be laws that, that is against it. Um, um, there should be people who checking this. All of this is right, but we as individual, we can definitely do something about it. And you know, if, if one is aware of this and then they will still say, well, it's, it's too much of, a, of an effort or of an work, then it's just the person who doesn't want to change anything. But then the same individual should also understand that, you know, if you are in a good situation, and maybe this is something not many people are going to like, but you're also lucky. Many mm. people do, you know, they, they work hard to get to the situation where they are in. But at the end of the day, no one chose where they're going to get born. No one chose their nationality. No one chose their families. So whatever good situation you are in, there is, a, there is an element of luck and privilege that others did not have. So if I'm sitting in a comfortable situation, I should not be thinking, well, if someone else is having it bad, it's entirely their fault. Because the fact is, I could have definitely been that other person. So what would I want other people to do if I was that other person? Hmm. So on another note of another question around, you know, hard topics. I mean, you mentioned that there are some hard topics and they're not easy. What is, what is really, I mean, I'm trying to get into a sort of a day in the life of what are some of the really hard topics you've had to tackle or the hardest ones you've, you've had to advocate for? And what have you learned from that? I mean, you've been doing this now 10 years. So you must have learned a phenomenal amount about how to tackle tough issues. Yeah, it's... It's, it's interesting that the, I would say the most two sensitive topics, which usually should not be sensitive, first of all is peace. Um, there are situations where, you know, when you say, I want peace, or you say, I'm working for peace, it can be very problematic and, and very sensitive, sensitive, sometimes even justified for, for those who find it sensitive, right? So to give you an example, for instance, if if after a, after a war, people have, you know, they, they lost loved ones, maybe they got injured themselves, they got displaced, they lost their houses, their houses on fire because of the war, etc. And then you come and you say, well, but we want peace, so we have to move on. It, it can be really sensitive for people because they can easily tell you, you know, what peace are you talking about? We want justice because... My house was just set on fire. My, my kids died from an airstrike. And you're coming now saying we want peace. So, you know, when I think whenever we think of peace, and this is how I also grew up, we think of peace as, you know, that sign with, with the posters and there is the peace songs. There is, it's, it's just so easy for people to sort of say, we support peace, we want peace. But in many other times, Sometimes even the fact that you're coming to people saying we want peace, you might not actually, I don't want to say have the right to say it, but you should be very sensitive um, and considerate on, on how to say it. Um, the second topic is women's rights. Um, it's, it's still for some reason a very sensitive, provocative topic for many. 
you know, and whenever you're talking about women's rights and you say equality, some people, men and women go, go, go crazy about it. Yeah. Um, I, I think I'm lucky because I sit on the, on the, on the sort of more positive, once these things have been achieved, I get to speak, speak to these people. Um, but we do, I mean, especially with social media and the online community, um, it, it, it is a, a topic that is still very, very antagonistic, if I could put it. It's almost like, so I was, I was sort of thinking now, it's these conversations before peace and about women's rights are not when people are talking about peace, they're not necessarily peaceful because you've got to have the hard conversations before you can get there. So there must be a lot of hostility in all of that. Um, I mean, how, when you have, what are, what are the, some, of, some of the more successful moments when you've looked and gone, aha, this is, you know, you felt a change because I know you say change takes a long time. Is it, a, you know, do you have milestones on a, on a, on a, personal one-on-one -on -one basis with people? Is it around policy being changed? What are some of the real successes that you look at when you say, I am making a difference um, and I can see change? You know, this is going to take me back to what I said earlier about frustration, because when, when you start working on something, especially when you're doing it full-time, you're You're, you're literally giving your, your life forward, right? This is your focus. This is what you're putting your energy into. And most importantly, this is what you're investing your life in because you're not building, for example, for me, I'm not building a company that it's, it's not working well right now, but maybe in the future, it's going to be successful. So there is the hope for the future, right? What I'm doing is that I'm investing my life into something that, that should make our collective life more better. So when you invest your time into that and you sort of set your timeline, for example, if you're working on a particular issue, let's say women's political participation, right? Um, and, and you work on it, you say, well, this is gonna take a year to ensure that women are part of this political process. And then you put, you pour your soul and time and efforts into this. And then it doesn't work out. And it doesn't work out maybe because literally one person, maybe it is a, a man or a woman in a decision-making position who believes that, well, no, we don't need to have women. So like, and, and then you're just like, oh my God, what, like, what, what do I do? Do I just give up? Do I continue? So when I first started my activism, my sort of successful or success assessment was, did I succeed in do, doing this or not, right? Um, now, 10 years after, I'm just like, you know what? It's my right to do this work. It's my right as a woman, for an example, to ensure that other women are participating. It's my right to ensure that young people are participating. It's my right to ensure that I want to live in a society that has no racism, obviously in the street. It's my right to ensure that everyone is equal. It's just simply my right. So I'm just going to continue doing it. Whether people agree to it or not, it's just literally me practicing my right. And this change of mindset is actually what allows me to continue my work. Because if I'm going to assess the same way as I used to assess a few years ago, most probably 
if we're having this conversation today, it would have been about something completely different than activism. Yeah. And, and what's, I mean, I'm, I'm curious to know what's, what's the next 10 years looking like for you? I mean, do you, do you set, do you set out goals like 10 year goals or five year goals, or are you just going with what uh, an instinctual uh, process in terms of what, what to deal with um, or what you want to, to address? You know, I, I, I set plans, I set goals, and then I drop, <laughs> I drop them myself. Um, I, I must admit, yeah, I, I must admit, I think three years ago, I, I made the decision that I'm, for an example, I'm going to make a career shift. Um, I, I graduated from law school. I, I, I went to practice law. Uh, um, and I made the decision that I'm going to go and practice, practice um, corporate law and Three years later, I'm I'm still doing what I I did, um, but I think this is just to say that, for an example, for me, I don't have I don't have a a clear plan, right? I'm not telling myself, okay, I'm gonna do this for one year, then I'm gonna go and do that because I think for me the most experiences that I learned from the most and the most experiences that actually even advanced my career were definitely the things that I didn't plan for. So I planned in the beginning to study medicine um, and then I watched Suits and I said I'm going to study law. <laughs> so it depends on what TV show I watch. No. <laughs> um, There's a good cooking show coming up soon. Oh great because I'm a bad cook. <laughs> <laughs> but you know maybe if there's a show about space or physics I'll, I'll end up doing that um but I I started you know my um when I was a teenager I thought I'm gonna be a, a doctor by now and and I'm not and then I I studied law and I thought I'm gonna be a corporate lawyer and and you know still didn't get there um but but nevertheless I think you know it's um it's I, I think all of us do have a sense of flexibility to try different things, but at some point um, this flexibility gets difficult by the time, right? So for an example, when I was, when I started my activism 19 years ago, I was a student and I, I don't need to think already of pension funds, retirement plans, uh, you know, kids, uh, security and all of these things. Um, now that I'm 28, it's a completely different view, for example. So this is just to say that, especially for young people, um, maybe in the beginning, there is really no need to think of, okay, I need to have a job. You know, I need to have a, a full-time job to ensure that I'm on the right track. Maybe in the beginning, just try, explore, experiment, as long, I'm, I'm going to emphasize this, as long as you can afford it right? As long as you can afford it, you're living decently, go and try and you don't need to have a plan. But then when you get older, you, uh, you start thinking differently. <laughs> you do. <laughs> Wait until 10 years from now, you really, and then you start thinking, oh, how much of my career is left? Oh my goodness, I never thought I would think about that day. Um, you know, from, from being so young and, young and ambitious and constantly reaching goals, it, it really, your mind shift really does change. And forms 
different phases of what you're trying to achieve. Yeah. Look, Hadja, I, I thank you very, very much. And, and what, it's been such a pleasure and a different take on, on life and, and gender empowerment to really uh, spend some time with you. And I do want to wish you the best of luck, not just for your awards, but what you're trying to achieve um, with Together We Can Build It, uh, with UN Women, um, for, you know, for whatever reason you have been able to send the messages you have, I, I do believe it does make a difference. People do hear, people do get moved. Um, and so please continue this journey with much love from, from the Top Woman team. Um, and uh, yeah, and I really wish you a, a healthy and wealthy 2021. Thank you. The, the wealthy part is so important. <laughs> <laughs> The healthy part, I'm taking part of it, you know. Okay, okay, good. Eating healthy, but the wealthy part, I, I need some wishes for that. <laughs> you need to work on that. Maybe I must introduce you to some of corporate South Africa, and then we can assist you on that journey. But thank you, thank you for your time, and please stay in touch. And hopefully, we might see you at the Top Women Conference later on this year. Same here, same here. Thank you for this great conversation. I hope the listeners enjoyed it as well, and we'll definitely be in touch. Thank you, Jeff.